Hi, everyone, and welcome to Gay A, a podcast about sobriety for the LGBT plus community and our allies. I'm your host, Steve Bennett Martin. I am an alcoholic, and I'm grateful for my new job giving me Saturdays off. As of this recording, I am 275 days sober, and today we're welcoming a guest to share their experience, wisdom, and hope with you. Welcome to the show, Joe. Thank you. I appreciate it, Steve. Yes, and why don't you start off by introducing yourself to the listeners? Absolutely. My name is Joseph Pichinetti, but I do go by Joe. I'm 53 years old, and I'm an alcoholic. Everyone calls me Joe, and I have five years and three days sobriety as of today. Congratulations. Thank well, you. With, with that five years plus under your belt, why don't we start by just jumping into what your journey with alcohol and addiction was like? Do you want me to start from kind of the beginning, Steve? Or yeah, t- what I, tell us you know, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. Uh, I kind of, I kind of have an outline. So I, you know, my journey started when I was very young. I grew up in Las Vegas, Nevada, and my, my folks loved to party and drink and they, we had a pool and everything. So I started at a young age and I was always the bartender making the cocktails. And so it was kind of hard not to, to dabble during those times. And so I started young as, as crazy as it sounds, I, we left Colorado and or Las Vegas when I was 11 and we moved to Colorado, but I never really drank from junior high till my first year of college at all. Never. And then I get into college. And once I got into college, that's when it went downhill from there. After attempting college for about two years here in Colorado, I got into a bunch of financial difficulty and, you know, I was doing the dating thing and partying thing. And I decided to move back to Las Vegas and I moved back to Las Vegas for about two years to try to get out of debt, which I did well at, but then I was back in Las Vegas and I was 21 and I was in the party scene. And so needless to say, I think that was a a good running start in my lifetime. And I was living with my family and out of my family, and I have two sisters and one brother. I'm the only one, including my parents, that have like hit in the bottom in terms of alcoholism. I do believe my father is an alcoholic. He drinks and he has drank his entire life. He's 76 and he functions very well, but he's just never, I guess, crossed over the line. But he's the only one that I feel that might have a problem in my family. So I'm the first one to, I guess, bloom, I guess is what I like to call it. But after two and a half years in Vegas in the early 90s, I finally moved back to Colorado and I discovered my sexuality. And that was in the early 90s. And and I think it did kind of push me into the drinking scene. I also got into the club scene and the drug scene by the end of the 90s. I remember going to a club called the Paradise Garage, which it was a dance club. It was, it's the old tracks club here in Denver, Colorado. And I sat in the truck with my ex-boyfriend back in, this is in 93. And I remember we were scared to death to go into the club because we both were coming out at the same time. We knew nothing about sleeping with guys. And I chugged a, a pint of Jack Daniels that night before going into that club. And I will never forget it because I was just shaking profusely. And once I got in, I was fine. In fact, I started drinking even more. I remember going to the clubs back in the 90s. And it was that's all you did was go and you socialize and you drank and you and you hung out with your friends. And we all were in the same boat. We had something in common. We were gay. But the alcohol, I think, helped us relax and, and become, you know, we were okay with who we were, 
who we were at that time. But I, I feel like the, the gay scene probably pushed me a little bit faster <laughs> into my alcoholism, maybe. Mm-hmm. But in, I was with my ex-boyfriend until um, the late 1990s. And we lived, we moved to Breckenridge, Colorado, which is a ski town in the, in the late 1990s. And it, it was a party scene, the mountains, you know, there's drugs and alcohol everywhere. And after eight years, I decided it was time to go my own way and do my own thing. And so in 1999, I, I left an eight-year relationship and I, I found myself drinking a lot then. And I remember saying to myself, I'm going down a dark path. And so in 1999, I moved back from the mountains. I moved to Denver, Colorado, and I moved back to the city. And I, and I was able to establish myself with a little bit of cash. And I bought a place here in downtown Denver in 1999. And um, it was in 1999 that I met my current husband of 22 and a half years at an after hours club here in Denver, a very popular after hours club. And I also had gotten into the drug scene and into the drug ecstasy in 1999. And that became a huge factor in my life because now I wasn't only drinking all the time, I was doing ecstasy all the time. And I pulled my 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 boyfriend my, at the time, my husband now, into the scene. And, uh, you know, we every weekend we were out. During the week we were out. We were drinking with our friends. We were partying with our friends, doing the ecstasy. I, I, we never really, I never really took any other drug except for really ecstasy. I never got into crystal meth or any of those type drugs. I never got into cocaine in the mountains, which is which is kind of surprising because that's a big scene up there as well. But ecstasy was was the big drug. And and with ecstasy came a lot of side effects. And those side effects became the terrible Tuesdays, which made me drink more because alcohol was my escape. It made me feel better. It made everything better back then, it seemed. And, you know, so the happy hours after work or or the rough days or whatever, it just we I found myself sitting at 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 the bars more than I was sitting at home doing the things I really wanted to do. Although I was really into the health scene, you know, with the ecstasy, because that it kind of pushed me into wanting to the image situation when I was in the club scene and, and I was at the gym a lot, but of course the happy hours and the booze scene seemed to take priority. And, and it, and it, I always like to say joke, joke, because it seemed like there was always, special DJ spinning or a birthday or an anniversary, or it was just because we wanted to, we were always out at the bars drinking and and having a good time, even if it was a school night. And somehow I still managed to go to work and and do my job and get a paycheck, which was great. But me and my husband stayed together. We actually got married in in 2001 and we did a, a ceremony up in Breckenridge with a lot of our friends. There was like 250 people and at about 2007, I received a job offer in Breckenridge, working for the state of Colorado, working for a judge. It was kind of a dream job. And we were, you know, as much as we were drinking here, we didn't think we had a problem. I didn't think I had a problem. And I wanted to escape the drug in the club scene. And so, of course, the mountain scene was going to be the escape. You know, we could get back up in the mountains. We could do the active things. We can do our hiking, do our snowshoeing. I snowboarded for 18 years. You know, I was active though. I would always say in looking back, I I always thought I had a, I wasn't, I never 
thought I was an alcoholic because I did all those things. I did the the physical things, the snowboarding, the gym, the hiking, the snowshoeing, you know, those kind of things. But yet I didn't take, I didn't take it seriously of how much I was drinking or, or doing the drugs. So I moved to Breckenridge in 07 and I took on this awesome job. My husband worked from um, Breckenridge remotely. He owned, he, he started to um, buy into a, a business there or down here in Denver, but he would work from up there. And, you know, we thought life was going to be different, but um, living in the mountains, everybody was on vacation and you wanted to be on vacation too. God damn it. <laughs> and so, you know, we would get done with our, our, our jobs and we would go to happy hour with, with all the other mountain people who were working in the service industry. And, and then it became lunches, working lunches. And, you know, we were, we were drinking all the time and, and I couldn't keep, my body was going through withdrawals. It seemed like more and more and more. And I was shaking and I was starting to lose sleep. And But I was always going to my job. I never missed work. I, I never called in sick. But it just seemed like the drinking just really, really got out of hand up in the mountains a lot. And then it became we were drinking at home. And is I I would I would think, oh, I'll have two drinks and I won't drink as after that. And I'll just go to bed. Well, that didn't happen. That that got thrown out the window really fast. And instead of going, we thought instead of going to happy hour, we'll just go straight home and we can have a couple of drinks there. Well, a couple of drinks turned into a couple of bottles and that just escalated from there. And so I, like I said, I never really drank, drank on the job, but I did drink at lunch a lot towards the last year of my employment. I finally quit the state in 2016 because we thought maybe it would be good if I could work for my husband. Maybe I could, you know, maybe calm down things and we could be together a little bit more and watch each other. And, and, and maybe he could help me with my drinking situation. And that turned out to be not such a good idea because I wasn't going to work and I was like, you know, I don't feel good. You know, Oh, I drank too much last night. And we both were partaking into, into the drinking at home more. And, and so that was my excuse to not work for him. And so then I was going out to lunches with my friends and those lunches turned into drinking all afternoon while while my husband worked. And, and and then that turned into happy hours and more happy hours. So like I said, in 2016, I quit my job. I went to work for him. It was getting so bad during from 2016 to 2017. I finally got help with it February of 2017. But it was getting so bad to where I couldn't even get out of bed without drinking pretty much a about a pint of vodka, if not more, just to get my legs out of the bed so I could stand up. I could not stand to urinate in the bathroom. It was it was horrible. I couldn't brush my teeth. I, I was not eating at all. I couldn't even hold water down. And my husband was going downhill as well. And we both got sobriety together at the same time. But that's a whole other story. Ironically, I at the end of February of 2017, I was going to visit my family. It was my sister's birthday, and I was going to Vegas to visit my family. And before I left, my husband and I were pretty much, I thought, oh, it was going to be over because he was going in a bad spiral, and so was I. And he decided to go to treatment. And as I boarded the, the mountain shuttle to get, to get to DIA so I can catch a flight to go home to Las Vegas to visit my sister for her birthday, I said goodbye, not knowing what I was going to come back to. And I was hoping deep in my heart and in my mind that maybe I might get the help that I wanted because there were 
so many days and nights that I cried or I really thought about suicide, but I never had the strength or the guts to do it. I just, I was more caught up in the moment of, I just wanted to feel better. I was so ill. And, and, and I guess that pain kind of over, it, it overtook the, the situation of, oh, should I kill myself? Should I, you know, what should I do? I, I just want this life to end because I truly hated my life. And, you know, when, you, when you're going in front of, when you're working for a judge and you're going in front of people who have committed crimes or they got a DUI or they're in drug court, we started a drug court program up there in, 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 in Breckenridge. And when you're going to work every day and you're looking at these people and you're wishing that maybe you could be them because you know deep down, even though they're going to sit in a jail cell or they're going to go through a treatment program, they're getting the help that they need. Why can't you? And, and that just, faith, I faced that so many days and so many, so many nights, you know, those thoughts just, just overcame me. But when I, when I went to Vegas for my sister's birthday, I just was hoping that something was going to happen. And by the grace of God, it did. My sister had, we had, a, my father was, of all people, was involved in the little family intervention. And they basically said, you need to get help if you want to save your marriage and your life. They, they commented on how bad I shook and how I, I was pretty much unfunctional. And so I was very lucky enough to have them pull me by the hand, yet willingly go, Steve, Mm -hmm. to this program. And and I know that there's a lot of people who don't have the opportunity. And and I felt extremely fortunate that I was given that opportunity and that that second chance. How in the hell in my lifetime I never got a DUI? Did I kill somebody? Did I hurt someone physically, except for myself. And, and I have a whole list of injuries I can go on, including breaking my wrist, my, my ankle, breaking my ribs. Anyways, we all have those injuries from drinking from those drinking days. But how in the hell I never killed someone, I don't know. But getting that opportunity to go to treatment was definitely a, a life change for me. It was, it was, it was the angel I needed. To, and I am so extremely grateful for that. And so that is kind of my story in a nutshell. Yeah. And what are some of the positive changes that you've seen in your life now that you're living sober these past five years plus? Well, to start, I cannot stress enough of the level of gratitude, the serenity and the peace I have in my life. And, you know, it's, it's hard work to get that. And, and we, if we all want it, if we want it bad enough, we'll find it. And I was, I'm grateful that I have, I found that. Um, I have my family back. I have old and new friends, mostly new because, you know, with alcoholism, alcohol is the one common denominator that we seem to find in society within our friends and our family that draws us together. And if we all have something in common, that's where we feel that we have that bond. And so let's do a shot together and let's have another cocktail together. And and so I've developed so many new friends, but I'm thankful for the old friends that I still have because, you know, you truly do find out who your friends are. 
I have my husband back. I have my marriage back. We have a fantastic relationship in, in every way. Um, my health, <laughs> let's, let's freaking start there. I, you know, I'm 53. I figure I've been drinking probably 45 years out of those 53 years. You're not going to become healthy in five years. You're not going to become healthy in 10 years. Every day is a challenge. Every week is a challenge. It's unbelievable, but, you know, being healthy is, is a big thing. It's funny, you know, I, I, I mentioned how I used to work out all the time. You know, the things we used to do to look pretty at the club, but now I, I struggle to go to the gym because I'm, uh, I'm too busy having my dessert that I never ate before because I can appreciate that stupid dessert and that, and that meal because I never ate at all. But it is funny, you know, like things like that. We're very fortunate that we we have always worked hard. I, I've never been fired from a job, and I'm I'm grateful for that during my alcoholism. And and I've worked very hard. And I I currently work for my husband successfully, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I currently own my own travel agent business as well. And I also am still working for. I got signed on for the state in the last year. And I am a contract bailiff for the state of Colorado. When there's jury trials, I go and I babysit the jurors. So I'm fortunate to have the employment opportunities, but more importantly, the educational opportunities to take those tools, as well as the tools I've learned in AA, the 12 steps, and be successful. So for all of that, those are the positive changes in my life. Yeah. And um, I'm so very, I'm so very grateful for that, Steve. That's awesome. And what, what was it like, you know, getting sober with like a spouse, like right around the same time? Cause I had the experience of having a husband who always drank like a quote unquote, like normal person. Like he could just like have a drink that's like half a glass of wine at dinner, walk away and not drink for like another two or three weeks, like without even thinking about it. So like for him, it was very easy to like not have alcohol in the house or like, but like at the same time, he wasn't going through what I was going through either. So what was your experience like? So it's interesting. (laughs) He used to say, oh, you got a problem. You got a problem. You got a problem. And then, you know, soon it was, we have a problem. Mm -hmm. We have a problem. And even though I heard those words, we have a problem. I still struggled to take my own responsibility, take, take credit for my own responsibility. It, I had the problem before he had the problem, probably. Mm-hmm. Now, he comes from a family of, of addicts as well. Another story. But it was, you know, it was interesting because we both triggered each other. We both fed on each other. We both supported each other with the drinking situation. Now the roles are reversed. And we're very fortunate because we have each other to get through sobriety. And when when he went off to treatment here in Colorado and I went and did my treatment in Las Vegas with my family, because they were close there for my support, we didn't talk to each other for 90 days. And then, and then the thought of what's going to happen when we get out. And I will tell you, when we first met up for the first time, it was like we were, it was like our first date. Mm-hmm. It was, I was, I was shy. I was shy to get undressed. That's how odd it felt. Mm-hmm. But, but we are, you know, 
where we used to enable each other. Now we, you know, we support each other. And, and if one of us feels it's a bad idea, we just say, hey, you know what, not a good idea. And this, we have the support. And, and I think it's really important that you have the support of each other in a relationship or with your friends or with your family, whoever that may be, but you've got to have that support. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. That support is so important. Now, you, you did talk about a little bit during your share about like what your it was like, you know, with your sexuality playing a role in your addiction. But what's it been like, you know, being in the gay community now that you're in recovery? You know, that's interesting. A lot of curiosity from other people as to how did you do it? You know, people look, I feel like we, as much, as many of the people that we had as friends that don't speak to us anymore, only because we don't have that common denominator, which is the social drinking part. We have been, you know, we've gone to, we went to Drag Queen Bingo a couple of weeks ago. It was the first time we've ever done anything like that since we've been sober and it was it was it was so much fun but we knew nobody of course because we're way older but you know our friends you win some you lose some that's how i look at it as going through the when i was coming out you know the peer pressure was there i i think society has changed so much i feel like the support there's so much support in the community in general I don't, I, I definitely feel that I could walk into one of those establishments. If, if I know who they are and they know that I'm, I'm sober, I, I would feel comfortable that they would keep me sober. Mm-hmm. But again, it comes down to picking your people, places and things carefully. Yeah. So I would probably not put myself in that position for my own safety, mm-hmm. but, but I, I think the community is very supportive. Our our friends are definitely supportive. I mean, we, I don't, I don't know of anybody that has been non-supportive. I'll say that. Yeah. And I'm I'm sure with that, like you've also provided support to others as well. I mean, if you can give one piece of advice to someone who's like sober, curious or newly sober, what would would it be? You know, I, I think that if someone is, you know, sober, curious or whatever, I think if, if that person thinks they have a problem, there's a probably pretty good chance that they may, they might. Mm-hmm. And if they can look at the 12 steps and answer honestly to question step one and step two and answer that those two steps, honestly, they might want to reevaluate themselves and the direction that maybe they're taking in their life. That's what I would say. Whichever way that may be. Yeah. I understand. And what are some things that you do in your daily life to help keep yourself sober? Well, finding a hobby is good. Mm-hmm. My work is one of my hobbies because we love, I love to travel. But I, I try to, you know, COVID changed a lot of AA schedules and meetings and the way we go about doing things. Going to AA meetings is extremely important. Going over the steps is number one and and staying on those steps. I think everyone should have a sponsor or try to really, really, really hard. Someone that you can talk to on a regular basis, whether it is your sponsor or just someone that is in the same position as you, maybe you know, trying to get sober or is sober 
And I think just creating that social network or that safety network for it that you can always lean on, I think is really, really important. But I try to, I try to be active with, with people around me so that, you know, I, instead of going to drag me bingo, <laughs> I try to do things, you know, dinners, you know, things like that. But I pray every day. I talk to my higher power every day and just self-reflection. That's the biggest thing is, is just self-reflection. I took a trip once to the, to the Caribbean and I sat under a tree and it was probably, let's see, it was my third year in sobriety. And I, and I had that moment that we all kind of like look for when we're first trying to get sober. And I sat under that tree and, and, and I'll never forget that moment because it was the most self-reflection I'd ever done in my entire life. And when I walked away from sitting underneath that, that tree next to a church under the, on a bench, I never had the same thought process again about AA and, and it, it works. Flipping works. Yeah. And, and I, I can't say enough about that. Yeah. And I mean, as people in recovery, and especially from the rooms, we really love our steps, traditions, and sayings. Do you have a favorite mantra or quote that you live by? I did. I, I do stay sober for today and remember it is one day at a time. Mm-hmm. I know if I do everything right tomorrow, when, if I know if I do, I know if I do everything right today, tomorrow, when I wake up, I'll have a head start. I like that. That's what I say. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Joe, for being on. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, Steve. Thank you. Would you like to tell the listeners where they can find you or follow you online? They can um, always email me at Vegas kid, of course. 1969.jp at gmail.com um, or they can find me on Facebook, Joseph Piccinetti or Joseph Piccinetti with Luxivo Vacations. Either way. All right. Sounds good. Well, thank you again so much, Joe. And All right, Steve. Thank you, listeners, for listening to another episode thank of you. Gay A. Please rate and review if you found this information helpful. If you're interested in sharing your story like Joe here, getting involved with the show, or just saying hi, you can email me at gayapodcast at gmail.com or find me on Instagram at gayapodcast. And be sure to follow us wherever you're listening right now so you get new episodes when they come out every Monday and Thursday. And until next time, stay sober, friends.